Let's give the Lord some praise today if your chains have fallen off in the presence of Jesus. Maybe somebody here this morning needs to hear your testimony that your chains fell off. And because your chains fell off, their chains can fall off too. Amen? Jesus is for all of us this morning. Message we want to deliver to you today that we want you to walk away with, no matter what we preach, is that God loves you. God loves you and God is for you and God sent Jesus into the world for you. And because Jesus is for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Well, the answer we find in Scripture is that we do have an enemy who is against us. And we have spent the last seven or eight years or so talking about spiritual warfare, talking about how we can fight that enemy, talking about how we can defend ourselves against the onslaught that the enemy brings against us every day. And I have been helped tremendously by this series. As I've studied it, as I've gone through Man Church, we've been discussing this in Man Church as well. So if you've missed out on some of this series called The Big Picture that we've been in for what feels like a long time now, we want to invite you men to come to Man Church. We're discussing spiritual warfare. It'll be a good way to catch up. This series is called The Big Picture, and we call it The Big Picture because we want to sort of show what the big picture is in our world and how it relates to what we find in Scripture. Because, church, when I look at what's happening in the world, I get concerned. I have some serious concerns about what's happening in the world, what's happening in our country, and what's happening in our community. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe that he has given us the solution. And as the holders of the solution, he's given us the responsibility to deliver the solution to people who are hurting, to people who are in need right now. Far too long, Christians have played defense... And we've looked around at what's happening as the enemy is on offense. And we've said, oh my goodness, the world's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Politics is bad. The social situation is bad. The economy is bad. My life is bad. The family situation is bad. Metropolis is bad. Everything is bad. Church, too long we have lived in the negativity playing the role of victims. When in reality, because Jesus Christ was victorious, we live victorious. We have the solutions to anything the enemy can throw at us. But church, there comes a time when we have to stop playing defense and we have to start playing offense. We have to take the sword of the Spirit and we have to move forward and go on the attack. Today, that's what I want to share with you today. The message is called, Swing Your Sword. It's called, Swing Your Sword. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10. This is the scripture we've been in for a couple months now. This will help catch you up. It says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything... To stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This morning, we're going to talk about the one offensive weapon that we get which is the Word of God. We're going to talk about how to use it, and we're going to talk about when to use it. 
And we're going to talk about the outcome of using it. We're going to talk about the danger of not using it. The danger of being what I'll call weaponless warriors in the spiritual battles that we all fight today. We're going to talk about the importance of this because church, if you don't play offense, you can't win. If you don't play offense, you can't win. Any football fans in the room? All right, so five of you, the rest of you can take a nap and I'll wake you up when my illustration's over. I grew up with a football-loving dad. He played football in high school back in the 60s, 70s, whenever that was, back when Brian was about 30, 40 years old. (laughs) That's one. I get two more. I grew up hearing this about football. The best offense is a good defense. I grew up where a good football game ended with a score of 6-3. to A better football game ended three to nothing. That was a good game. That's how you know the guys were hitting and they were having fun if there were no points on the board because the defenses were so good. But about 10 years ago, a shift happened in football. And now if you watch football today, what you find is is they don't hit as hard, but they run a lot faster. And they score a lot more points and they throw the ball way more than they used to because what they figured out is if you can just outscore the other team, you really don't have to worry about stopping them. Now, how many of you still like the old style? You like the defense? You like to watch them hit? Yeah, some of, us, uh, some of us cringe when we see it. A lot of us still like the old style. And the old style is important. I always heard this said, offense sells tickets, defense wins championships. We have to be able to defend ourselves, amen? If you can't stop the other team, you can't win because they're just going to run the score up on you. We have to be able to defend ourselves. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17, we get about six verses that describes the armor that God gives us with which we defend ourselves against the enemy's offense. We get the helmet of salvation. We get the breastplate of righteousness. We get the belt of truth. We get the shoes of readiness that comes from the gospel of peace that we receive through Jesus Christ. We get the shield of faith that will extinguish the arrows that the enemy would shoot at us from a distance. And we learn about all of these articles of armor. And if you think about it, all of these articles of armor that we receive when we become Christians, that Paul is describing in Ephesians 10, all of these articles of armor describe the type of attributes we should have in our Christian life. We should have faith as our shield. We should have salvation protecting our head. We should have Christ's righteousness becoming my righteousness as I live this daily life. We should have a readiness in our life with the gospel. Church, we should be ready to take the gospel out of here. Christianity isn't what happens in here. It's what we do with it out there. Okay? These are all attributes that we should have. When the enemy attacks, we defend ourselves by living out what God has put in us. But when it comes to our offense, when it comes time for us to swing the sword, when it comes time for us as Christians to push back in the war and to actually take the fight to the enemy versus just defending ourselves against the enemy, notice that the sword we receive is not a descriptor of who we are. It is the weapon of choice for God. It is the sword of the Spirit. Quite literally, this is the weapon that the Holy Spirit uses. Let me put it this way. When God is ready to do battle, 
When God is ready to do something, when God is ready to take a swing at the enemy, when God is ready to make a difference, this is the weapon that He uses. He speaks. When God created the world in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, He did not form it with His hands. He spoke it with His voice. It was the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus had been baptized and been confirmed by His Father as the Son of God in whom God was well pleased, and the Bible says that Jesus went up into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan found Him there hungry and tired and exhausted. Three times... Satan directly tempted Jesus to sin, and three times Jesus drew a weapon to defend himself and to go on the offense. Do you know what the weapon he drew was? It wasn't a Mike Tyson uppercut. It was the Word of God. Twice he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, once he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8. He literally pulled out the weapon that was most effective in that moment, and the very weapon that Jesus Christ himself chose to use was to simply speak the word of God in the face of the enemy. And Satan had to flee. He had no answer. You see, this sword that we're given is so important, and it's so effective Because the battles that we face today in our Christian life, please understand this. Paul says that they are not against flesh and blood. If I were to ask you today, if I were to sit down with each of you and say, Hey, Randy, tell me your biggest problems in your life. Dave, tell me your problems in life. Ryan, tell me your problems. Chances are, the answers that I would get would sound something like this. Well... I've got problems at work. What's problems at work? Well, this person is doing this and this person is doing that. Well, what about home? Well, i got some problems at home. My spouse is doing this. My kids are doing that. Well, what about church? Well, I like church okay, but some of the people there, you know, when Pastor Brian preaches, sometimes I fall asleep. It's just a whole big thing. You know, it's a struggle for me. That's two. When we think about where our battles are, we usually pin them on other people. You with me? When we think about what's wrong in our life, it's usually always the other person is the problem. It's the person, it's the people, it's the politics, it's the system. It's never me, it's always them. And we pin our problems on people. But Paul says, our battle is not with flesh and blood. You know what he's saying? Your problem is not those people. Your problem is rooted in something bigger than that that you can't see. Because these people that you have problems with are part of a spiritual battle that's happening in heavenly places that you don't have access to as you live here in this flesh, in this physical world. And when we try to fight those battles, and we try to attack our enemies with earthly weapons, we are trying to win a spiritual war with earthly weapons. It would be like going to war today with a slingshot. You are not equipped to fight the enemy that you're facing because they're fighting on a different level than you. But Jesus doesn't leave us defenseless in the war. Because God understands that because our battle is in heavenly places, because our true battle is happening in the spiritual realm, He gives us the spiritual weapon that He uses in the spiritual realm. How many of you have ever seen the movie The Sword and the Stone? All three of you. Okay, this is going to be a great illustration. This will connect. In the 15th century, Pastor Brian had just started his ministry. That's three. If you're going to pull me down, now's your chance. In the 15th century in Great Britain, they were searching for a king. It was the Dark Ages. They had gone through many, many bad kings. The monarchy was a mess. And the artist of that day, 
began to write literature, and it was fantasy, and they wrote this fantasy literature about a king that would come who would wield ultimate power, win wars, win battles, and rule with goodness. And they wrote about a king named King Arthur. And as a child, King Arthur, before he became king, he found a sword that was hidden in a stone. And everybody who tried to pull this sword out could not access it because they did not have the power to wield it. It was not their rightful weapon. But the legend said that the one who was chosen to wield that sword would be able to remove it from the stone, and when used in battle, that sword would kill whatever enemy that it touched. It gave ultimate power to its holder. And in this story, Arthur, as a young man, finds this sword, pulls it out of the stone, and he grows up to become the king that they were searching for. He was the winner of many, many battles. He was undefeated because this sword could not be defeated. It was even said in these legends that, these, that this sword called Excalibur could slay the gods. And it could do that because in this story, this sword was forged in a different realm. And when that sword forged in a different realm was brought down to this realm, it was unbeatable. It never lost. Because the sword of the Spirit, church that you and I have been given is not an earthly sword, but it is a heavenly sword. It is God's weapon of choice. It is undefeated in this realm. When we hold it, when we take it, and when we swing it, you can trust and know that it will always win in your life. You may say, you don't know my situation. You don't know my struggle. You don't know my problems. You don't know my life. You don't know what's happened to me. You don't know how bad things are in my world. Understand this. When God speaks, he is undefeated. Nobody has ever come against the word of God. And the Bible says that if you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that for all who received him, God gave them the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Because you are loved by God, when you submit your life to Jesus Christ and you follow him, the Bible says you have been given the right to wield the sword that God uses in his spiritual battles. And church, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. Whatever problems you may have in this world, if this sword can win wars in the spiritual realm, it can handle whatever the enemy can throw at it. It says it like this in Isaiah 55, 11. God says to the prophet Isaiah, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire, and it will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Pastor, how can you know that Christianity is going to work for me? How can you know that the word of God is going to be enough for me when you don't know my situation? I know it because God promises it. God says that if you'll use it, you will not lose. The word of God is our single offensive weapon in spiritual warfare. But church, it must be swung to be effective. It must be swung to be effective. It is not enough to simply have it. we got to use it. Amen? It's not enough to have it. We have to use it. In the Bible, there are a few different words in the Greek, the original language in which this scripture was written. When we look at the word for word as in the word of God, okay, I'm going to say the word about 40 times in the next two minutes, so you're going to have to stick with me tight. The word for word is interpreted three different ways. Three different ways that it's written in the Greek, and we interpret them all as the same word. We call it word. You with me? Word. Okay. <laughs> Number one, there is the graphe. The graphe. 
The graphe is the written word of God. If you got a Bible, hold it up. Have you ever been to church? Man, some of y'all holding up your smartphones. Quit playing, old people. That ain't your Bible. I'm sorry, Jim. You're close. Y'all better get a physical one because Amazon's pulling them down. Mark my words, all right? The graphe is the written word. It is ink on the page. 66 books written by 35 authors over a period of 1,500 years. It is the word of God. Graphe. But the book in my hand is not the sword of the Spirit. Okay? The book in my hand is not the sword of the Spirit. I do not arm myself for spiritual battle when I purchase one of these at Lifeway. Or what used to be Lifeway. On Amazon, I guess. When I put this in my car, my car does not become more spiritual. When I put this on my bookcase with all the other Christian books I haven't read, I do not become more spiritual. Owning a Bible is a great first step. It's like buying a weapon if you're going to be in a battle. But it will not prepare you simply owning it. The graphe is the written word. It is the words on the page. The graphe is not the sword of the Spirit. The next word for word in the Greek is logos. Logos. This is a little bit deeper than just words on the page. You see, if you read the words on the page, you will learn a message. You will hear a message. 66 books, 35 authors, over 1,500 years, they are all delivering a message. Many different forms of literature. Some are writing history. Some are writing poetry. Some are writing prophecy. Some are writing eyewitness testimony. Through all these books, what you'll find is if you read it, if you will read the graphe, you will come to find the logos, which is the message found in the Bible. If somebody were to ask you what's in the Bible, chances are you wouldn't say, well, sir, it's 66 books written by 35 authors over the period of 1,500 years. You would say that in the Bible, you will find the Word of God. Well, what does the Word of God say? The Word of God says that for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you say, well, that's only one verse of graphe. True, but it is the message of the Logos. All of these books in this Bible in this graphe, give us a message. And it is the message where the power is. In fact, I will go so far as to say that in the book of John, when the Bible says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it is saying that it is the Logos. Jesus is the living Logos. He is the living message of the Word. What does the Bible mean when we say that? It means that if you want to know what the message is, look to Jesus because He is the living message of the Word. You say, well, I don't know if I can trust that the Bible is fully accurate. I don't know if I can trust everything that's in there. The question you need to ask yourself first is, did Jesus really exist? If he did, and history says that he did, plenty of evidence for it, then you need to ask yourself, did he really die? Well, obviously he did because it's been a long time ago, been 2,000 years. Most important question, did he rise again? Because the message of the Word says that he did. And history says that he did. And hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw him after his death as a human, as a physical being, says that he did. Now, you may doubt the graphe, 
But if you're going to be honest with yourself and look at Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God that the Bible says is the living Logos, He is the living message, you have to tell yourself the truth, and the truth says that Jesus is exactly who He says He was. And He rose from the dead exactly like He said He did. And if that's true, it changes everything about our life. If that's true, it changes everything about our life. But here is where many Christians stop. Here is where many Christians stop. We hear the graphe, we receive the logos, the message, and we say, I believe it. I believe it. In my head, I believe it. And in my heart, I believe it. And with my mouth, I confess it, that Jesus is Lord. And we get baptized in some water and we come up out of it. And then we take our graphe and we lay it down somewhere because we get busy. And we get distracted. And if somebody says, hey, what's the message of the Bible? We can paraphrase it. But if we're honest with ourselves, many Christians today are not really people of the message. We're not really people of the graphe. We are people of our activities and our careers and our hobbies and our families and our culture and our social status and our political party. Not necessarily people of the word. Now, I don't know if that's you or not. I can't answer that for you. Only you know that. But many Christians struggle in spiritual battles every day. Every day, it's like the enemy's just right in your face, right in your face. Temptation, frustration, isolation. Right in your face. And you say, you know what, when I heard the message of the word, I thought that Jesus was supposed to fix all my problems. What you may be missing is that the sword of the Spirit, the weapon that you've been given to fight back and to drive the enemy backwards in your life, is not the message of the graphe. It is the rhema, which is the third word for word in the Bible. When the Bible says you've been given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the word for word in that verse is the word rhema, which is the spoken word. You see, the power of God is exhibited in the spoken word. It needs to be spoken out loud. It needs to be said out loud. And I think we know this because in our own lives, isn't that the most difficult thing to do is to actually open our mouth and say it? How many things do you want to say to somebody that, man, I just need to say this. I just need to get this off my chest. I just need to be honest and say it. And, man, we just struggle with that, don't we? We just think, I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to mind my business and try to just do my own thing, and hopefully they don't get mad at me, and I don't get mad at them, and I can just, use, I can just live my life. But sometimes it just builds up in us, and eventually we just got to say what needs to be said. It's hard because that's where the power is. You see, carrying a weapon is a big responsibility. Using a weapon is a big risk. When you pull out a weapon and start swinging it, what you'll find is that there are consequences to that. A sword can be a divisive thing. In fact, you can argue that the very reason a sword was created was to divide. It was to divide whatever it touches. And we tend to not be divisive people. We tend to not rock the boat. But church, it is not enough that we possess and understand the word. The victorious warrior must be willing to speak the word. We must be willing to speak the word. One of the dumbest church signs I ever saw 
And if this was on your church, forgive me, and please come back to Eastland again. But I once saw a church sign that said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And I saw it and I thought, you know, I get what it's saying because we love the idea that we can just live out the gospel and that'll be enough. That we can just be a good example. We say it like this, maybe I'll be the only Jesus that person ever meets, so I need to just live like Jesus. But if we don't ever open our mouth and just say it, I wonder how often the message actually gets across. I mean, ask yourself this, if your role is a disciple maker in the kingdom of God, and it is your job to give the message to other people so that they can receive it and become followers of Jesus themselves, how many people in your life have ever come up to you and said, your message and your example is so good, I just want to follow you. I don't know what you believe, and I've never heard it before, but I just want to follow you because of how you live. Maybe you've got a group of people behind you, and if you do, I want to encourage you to start a small group yesterday in our church. But for most of us, the word needs to be spoken. For the enemy, the word must be spoken. Because the enemy is not alarmed or afraid of our example. You with me? The enemy needs to hear it because the sword is the word of God. It must be spoken. Now, there's two ways that I want to talk this morning about how we do this and when we do it. There is a time to swing the sword. There is a time that we go on offense. There is a time, church, that we defend ourselves. There is a time that we simply stop defending ourselves and start fighting back. You with me? There is a time to swing the sword. And I want to talk about that today in the two ways it plays out. Look at John 8, 44, second half of the verse. It's going to be on the screen. It says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I've had this question come up before when we talk about spiritual warfare. Well, Pastor Blake, how do we know that the battle that I'm facing is really from Satan? Because I don't know if Satan himself has ever stopped what he was doing to come attack me. I'm probably not that important in the kingdom that Satan would stop his day to come seek me out. And that may be true, that may not be true. I don't really know how all that works. But what I can tell you is that wherever the lie is present in the world, that lie has a source and it has a father. And that father is Satan. So whether or not you are being tempted by Satan himself, whether or not Satan himself is on top of you attacking you, or maybe it is just simply the system in which you live, or maybe it's lies that you are telling yourself. You say, well, how do we know this is spiritual warfare? If the lie has power, that lie has a father. And if you want to kill the lie, you kill its dad. You swing at it. We swing the sword wherever lies have power. So how do we know when it's time to go on offense? How do I know when it's not enough to simply try and defend myself and mind my own business, but to actually pull out the sword and start swinging? The Romans did it this way. The Roman soldiers had a sword, and the sword was called the gladius. It was about two feet long, and it was sharp on both sides. And they only swung it when they had to. But when the enemy would get right on top of them, they would keep their shields up. They never took their shields down. They would keep their shields up, and they would draw the sword, and they would jab it. They'd pull it back. They kept their shields bunched together in a formation, and they would jab the sword. And as more enemies came, they would jab the sword. As more enemies got on top of them, they would jab the sword. They'd move forward, and they'd pull the sword out and use it again. They'd move forward and stick the sword out again. This is how they fought. I would argue that in your life, 
the time to use the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the moment in which you realize that a lie has taken hold in your life. That a lie has taken hold in your life and that that lie has power over you. That's the moment in which you need to take the sword out and start swinging and start speaking the Word of God over that thing. That's when you start doing it. Lies have power in two places that I want to talk about this morning, then we'll be done. Number one, lies have power in the system. Pastor Brian taught me this years ago. I've never forgotten it. Satan operates in the spiritual, in the system, and in the self. Spiritual system and self. This morning, we're going to talk about the system and the self. Lies have power in the system. I want to talk to you this morning about the system in which we live. And many of you may know this and many of you don't. I'm hearing from more and more people that a lot of people now are turning the news off because it's depressing. Anybody feel that way? Like, man, I just don't even like to watch it. Like, the more I watch it, the more anxious I get. I'm the same way. I feel the same way. I've gotten off social media. I don't know what any of you are doing. I don't know what any of you are saying. I might as well have a flip phone at this point. Praise God. Miss those days. It's so depressing to look out there and see what's happening. If you watched the Grammys this year, what you saw were two, I'll put it in quotations, artists who simulated homosexual relations on stage. And this was at 10 o'clock at night, a lot of kids still awake, and this was celebrated and even called Shakespearean-level art by critics. It was deemed beautiful and fantastic. A few weeks ago, six Dr. Seuss books were pulled off the shelves and off of Amazon by their own creator, the Dr. Seuss Corporation, because they were deemed to contain content that was so offensive that children would be damaged by reading it. Now, some of you may be thinking, now wait a minute, I don't think church is where we need to get political. I don't think church is where we need to get political. And I agree with you to a point. You will not hear me advocate for a party or for a politician. What you're going to hear me advocate hardcore for, though, is for the truth. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that when people stop worshiping God as the Creator and as Lord and they instead turn their attention and their worship to earthly things, that there comes a point in which God runs out of patience, and he takes his hands off the culture, and he says, you can have all of the lie that you want. If you want to live the lie, and you want to believe the lie, you don't want to worship me as God, I'm going to give you all the lie that you want. And Romans chapter 1 says that when that happens, the outcome is very specific. It is not simply that things get bad. What happens in the culture and in the system is that the people's hearts are turned toward unnatural sexual relations. That's in Romans chapter 1. And it says that these people will begin advocating for sexual freedom. We will not be bound by God's design. We will create our own design. And that's how they live. And it says in Romans chapter 1 that not only will they live this out and burn with passion for one another of the same gender, but they will encourage others to do so. It says that they will get to the place where what is evil they will begin to call good. And what is good they'll begin to call evil. This is the consequence of a system that has no longer allowed God to be the ruler of it. 
And God has taken his hands off and says, take all you want. You want the lie, you get the lie, and whatever comes with the lie. We live in a system now that is advocating that gender theory be taught to our kindergartners in the state of Illinois. You say, I don't think we should get political. The question is, is this political or is it simply a lie that has power in your home? This is a lie coming from the system. And Satan would love nothing more than for us to shut up about it in church. Because he knows that church is where the word is. Church is where the power is. So don't talk about the lie in the church because if we bring the lie up, then people might get offended. I'm not worried about offending people. I'm worried about a culture and a system that has adopted a lie and is headed for hell as fast as it can go. And we stand as the people of God, as the ordained men of God with the sword in our hand and we're afraid to use it because of the mess we might make if we start swinging it. We got to defend ourselves and we got to go on offense. You say, well, how do we do that? We start telling everybody what we think. No, what we think isn't really what matters. My opinion is useless to you. You don't need my opinion. You can find a million opinions. None of them are any good. But the word of God, that'll change things. You want victory in the system? Put the word of God back in the system. You say, how do we do that? We get into the system and we do it ourselves. When the lie has taken power in the system, we pull the word of God out. You say, well, okay, how's your church doing that? Maybe you're a visitor here. In our community, two of the lies that we see that have power in our community are this. Number one, that drug addiction is a good way to live. Metropolis has a big-time drug addiction problem. We've begun a ministry called 3D Life Recovery. It happens at 5 o'clock every Sunday afternoon. We've already seen three salvations out of this ministry. We've got people that are in here on Sunday afternoons every single week who've had their lives recovered and restored and renewed by the power of Jesus Christ. The word of God, the sword of the spirit has taken a swing at them and it has divided the lie from the truth and it has changed and it is radically transforming people. When it got cold outside, we opened up our building so that the people who didn't have a place to go find shelter could get it because we're not going to simply believe the lie that serving people in need is somebody else's job. The word of God says that's my job. And I'm going to do that job. And it's your job. And we're going to do that job. So we do it. And God has blessed that. When the system says that it is dangerous for churches to meet, we didn't stop meeting, not because we had an opinion, but because we had a word of God that told us that we should not forsake the gathering together of believers. And if the system says we should, we're going to lean on the word of God and we're going to swing it. You say, I bet that offended people. It sure did. Still does. That's not my problem. Not here to make people happy. I'm here to swing a sword. When the lie has power, we swing the sword. We speak the word of God. We go on offense. And church, I'll tell you, the outcome of these actions, the outcome of us going on offense is that God has blessed these ministries. You know, from COVID, one in five churches is now facing closure due to financial problems. That comes from the Barna Group. They did a study at the end of 2020. One in five churches in America is now facing financial failure that could lead them to closure. And our giving was bigger last year than it's been in years. You say, how in the world does that happen? It happens because the word of God is undefeated. When you stick it out there, it will kill whatever enemy it touches. We don't lose when we do it God's way. We lose when we do it our way. When lies have power in the system, we put the word of God on the system. We go on offense. But it's not just the system that lies have power in. They also have power in the self. This is about me and you today. 
Lies have power in the self. You say, I don't know if I'm battling spiritual warfare or not. I can tell you that you probably are. Some of the lies we may tell ourselves. You say, I can't overcome temptation in my life. I've got a sin problem. Same sin over and over. Same thought pattern over and over. Same anger over and over. Same outburst over and over. Same addiction over and over. I just can't overcome it. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 10 that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And any temptation you face, God will give you a way to overcome it. You can either choose to be a victim or you can go on offense and start swinging the sword at it. And you can win. The question is, do you want to win or do you want to keep losing? You may tell yourself, God can't forgive me. What I've done is so bad and so messed up that the grace that everybody else celebrates is simply not enough for me. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Not only does the word of God say that you can be forgiven, the word of God says you can be purified. You don't have to live with the stain of it anymore. You can be made clean, white as snow. That's what the word of God says, but it's not enough to simply know it. you got to swing it. You're going to use it, or are you just going to hope that somebody else does? Maybe you're telling yourself that you're a failure, that you've messed it up. What could have been will never be. 1 John 5, 4 says that everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. You believe in Jesus? See your Lord and Savior? You are not a failure. Your future is ahead of you. He has a plan for you. You know how I know? You're still breathing. If he didn't, he'd take you home. You are not a failure. Maybe you think you're not worth anything. You're nothing special. Nothing good about you. Psalm 139 says, You formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. You're valuable to God. And you're valuable to us. Maybe you say, I'm not important to other people. People don't know me. People don't care about me. The Bible says that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says that if you're a believer, if you're a member of the body of Christ, that every member is important. And if you're hurting, we're hurting. Your pain matters to us. When you win, it says we win. And we celebrate with you. You matter to us. Maybe you're lying to yourself and telling yourself that you will never overcome Fear and anxiety. It's just part of who you are. It's just going to be you for the rest of your life. John 14, Jesus told his disciples before he went to the cross, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Jesus says you can have peace, but you have to swing the sword. Maybe today you feel alone, like you're alone in your struggle. Maybe you're alone in your life. Maybe you don't have family around you. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 31 that the Lord goes with you. He will never leave you and never forsake you.